Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Regan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my awesome co-host... It's me, Shane Kelly! <laughs> and this week we are talking about... Tetris Effect! Yes, the Tetris Effect. Uh, this game has been, like, all over my Twitter feed for, like, two weeks, which is a really weird thing to say about a Tetris game in 2018. Sometimes a game comes along and it's, it's, it's just the game we need right now. And right now that game is block stacking. How do you get people talking constantly about a new release of Tetris in 2018? You do really awesome stuff with it. So, you know, I, I it is kind of one of those games, Tetris, that feels like it needs no introduction. But when I was talking about it with some people over the Thanksgiving holiday, I realized that uh, our father has no idea what Tetris is. Wait, what? Really? And uh, yeah, and so and and I tried to figure it out. I mean, he's not th- he's not that old. No, he's not. He was. Uh, in, if you think about it, Tetris was created the year before you and I were born. So for us, it feels as though Tetris was a thing that has always been. But it's not the case. Uh, it really fact, feels like not knowing like how to play Tetris is like not knowing how to pump your own gas. Well, or you not see, knowing how that's to- the thing about Tetris. The wonderful thing about Tetris is that if you sit down and you've never even heard of Tetris and you start playing Tetris, you'll know everything there is to know about, you know, how to play Tetris in five minutes. Uh, it, that's why I think Tetris was such an instant lightning in a bottle success right from the minute when it was created in 1984. So, um, for, uh, those of you who don't know the history of Tetris, I really doubt there's any of you (laughs) in this audience right now. Uh, but if you're listening, hi dad, um, the, you know, Tetris was invented by, well, there's one main guy, Alexei Pajitnov of the Soviet Union who worked for the, uh, I want to say Institute of the Soviet computer gang. There's some kind of <laughs> yes. some university of Moscow, something along those lines. So he, he was one of the, you know, computer programmers and they, they got their very first kind of not shared, not mainframe computer in his, in his you know, kind of computing department at the university. And he and a group of, of uh, colleagues there decided to kind of try and tinker around and make up games. And uh, he took his inspiration from uh, this sort of pentominoes game where you have these little, uh, domino pieces that have that are composed of five little squares, uh, and you try and assemble them into a rectangle. And he created uh, the first version of Tetris because the computers were simple. He simplified it down to pieces made out of four little squares. And uh, in order to keep keep the game going, instead of when you filled up the box with all your squares making a rectangle, uh, instead every time you assembled a line, he would clear that line and and move it on. And that was how Tetris came to be. Uh, the story after that just gets wildly, weirdly complicated, and it involves people on almost every continent and thousands and thousands of pages of uh, legal documents in many different <laughs> languages. Yeah. So, but you know, Tetris came to the U.S. in a, I want to say 1985 or so, and it really took off. Uh, both in the U.S. and in Europe, uh, and it became it is it is even to this day uh, the sixth most popular 
uh, or the sixth highest selling, I believe, game franchise of all time. Wow. Yeah. And the game itself, although many, many different versions of Tetris have been released and there's they all try to have some twist on it or other. Essentially, Tetris is still just Tetris. It is a phenomenally addicting, fundamentally fun experience to play Tetris. You could go back and play the original version of Tetris from uh, 1984, 1985, and you will still have the same really great experience that you're having playing Tetris literally in virtual reality surrounded by glowing dolphins made of light that you, if you, if you're playing the Tetris effect. So, you know, I, I love the Tetris effect and you're going to hear me gush about it, but I have to set that up here by saying, I just love Tetris. You know, I, I'm a lifelong lover of Tetris. Uh, I, I, I really started playing Tetris personally with a unlicensed knockoff version of Tetris that was called Quinn that came out for the Mac. I don't um, remember that. Did we did we have that on our Mac? Yeah, we did. Um, I you can't get it anymore. I don't think because I think I got sued. Uh, the Tetris company is notoriously litigious, uh, owing primarily to the fact that uh, just the initial introduction of Tetris to the world was a legal clusterfuck uh, that has almost no rival. And has never truly been resolved. Uh, it has to, to some great extent. Alexei Pajitnov, uh, years later, after... Basically, it's hard for someone who creates... Who, who created a great game idea uh, to make money off of it when you live in the Soviet Union uh, and your work is the property of the university and by extension of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, and they even had like, they even had like a, a bureau within the Soviet Union uh, that was responsible for like computer exports and like the whole story of, of how Tetris got licensed ultimately and most successfully to Nintendo for the NES and for the, uh, and for the, uh, the original Game Boy, which was the biggest blow up success of all time. That whole story is really interesting and really worth seeing and not the subject of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I would love to recommend too big of a story. Too big of a story. I would I would uh, wholeheartedly recommend uh there's a terrific YouTube video on the story of Tetris from Gaming Historian on YouTube uh, and uh it is I believe the first Google result when you search Tetris history, which is something that I have done uh, while preparing for this show. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, all you out there, just go and go and find that. It's a story with a happy ending because now Alexei Pajitnov has emigrated to the United States uh, and has uh, received credit and the financial success that such an incredible invention uh, should bring him. And he, he is the Tetris company is now responsible for licensing Tetris. And thank God they did uh, because they licensed out the whole Tetris thing to who is this Tetsuya Tetsuya Mizuguchi? Mizuguchi. Uh, Thank you. Say that again. Tetsuya Mizuguchi. He's a famous Japanese game developer. Um, he's sort of most famous for he's famous for games a lot like this. Things that have this sort of very um, music 
based gameplay and things that have this sort of I think he likes to experiment with these ideas of, of like synesthesia and uh, and gameplay that that uh, synthesizes music gameplay graphics all together into experiences that are you know, very sort of unique so he's most famous for Space Channel 5 uh, on you know way back in the Dreamcast era res which was a hugely influential and popular and very interesting sort of shooter with music based gameplay and very trippy graphics that had a recent remake uh, res infinite um which also has at least it partially has some vr so i think that's where he got oh, it, with it 100 percent. it's it's on my to uh, to playlist for psvr which as an aside psvr it is as we record it is cyber monday so you've probably missed out on some of the deals but uh the psvr uh, the prices are now really reasonable on the headset, um, not to mention on the base PlayStation itself. And the game library for PSVR has gotten really good. It so, really has. Yeah, this is maybe a bit of a, um odd place in the episode to, to go into that. But like the PSVR has, has been a little bit of a slow burn, but it's easily, I think, the most successful uh, video game console add-on of all time. I mean, th- it's got to be, right? Like, what else could compare? This is no, it's it's no like DK Bongos or like 32X or whatever. Like, it's a, it's almost feels like a whole console in of its in its own right with uh, yeah, that's with absolutely a really interesting. How they positioned it. Um, yeah, well, it's better I, to I would market be curious it that about way. that. Is it the most successful console add-on of all time? I I would suspect. It may be. I don't know what the sales numbers are are on this compared to like, you know, the super scope. It probably, like anything, depends on what you count. Like, you know, if yeah. if, if you count something like the um, Super FX chip, you know, <laughs> if, then yeah, maybe not. not. People but didn't know they had a Super FX chip. Exactly. People yeah. know that they've strapped a a, a plastic uh, falconer's hood full of uh, <laughs> screen <laughs> components and and. And focusing laser beams onto their eyeballs. That's very, very clear when you when it happens to you. Yeah, it's very clear because I get lots of uh, lots of Snapchats from my wife where she takes photos of me while I'm wearing it and playing it and adds ah, captions like steak. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I only ever take the PlayStation VR out of its drawer when I am the only one in the house awake. <laughs> That's really the way to go if you don't want comments from your wife like, is this what I married? <laughs> I don't I don't give a shit what my wife says about it, uh, but my toddler will instantly run to me seeing that I have uh, glowing colorful lights all over daddy's head and face and uh, will grab the convenient cord to yank my face off and pull my whole world out of alignment. It's it's, it's maybe the least convenient way to play video games ever devised. I mean, the only way to make it less convenient would be go to go to go the virtual boy route and make you like strap your head to a table in order to play it. Like it is unbelievably clunky. We are still I think, you know, 5 years or more away from having VR that becomes something that's like truly mass market and and uh and simple. It really it really won't be something that's just for everyone until they overcome a lot of really difficult technical hurdles. But if you're willing to set aside time and rearrange the space in your house in order to play a video game, there are some really amazing experiences. And Tetris Effect, you know, I, I kind of Tetris to- Effect is super duper not that bad uh, compared to some of the stuff you have to set up for some VR games. True. Uh, the more 
um, physical immersion that you have in a VR game, the more that you have to, you know, rearrange your furniture around it. Um, Tetris Effect is not like that. You really you can play, I play it from. I don't even have to move my chair. Uh, I just sit. I just plug in the headset. I go sit in my chair that I like to my little, you know, easy boy that I like to play my games from. Uh, and it works perfectly. So that's actually really good. Um, there are definitely games where I have to like make sure that I remember uh, a few hours ahead to go and find the right USB cord to charge the two uh, move controllers. Ugh, the move and controllers then, are the worst. Uh, move the furniture out of the way and then recalibrate the camera very carefully, making sure that there's no backlighting and so on and so forth. Wear some comfortable clothes for standing. Yeah, and so for all of flailing. that. Not the case with PlayStation VR and uh, the Tetris effect. So really, we're we're kind of getting into the talking about like the VR experience. So let me kind of talk about just that for a minute. We haven't really even really introduced the game itself. Yeah, and what makes it great. Can I let me take a first? let me take a crack at it? the The Tetris effect obviously is you know a Tetris game, but it is by way of Mizuguchi's other work. So it is it's this very uh, a synesthetic music experience. Um, You know, it plays out in a little bit different way than your average Tetris game does in that it's not just sort of an endless progression of levels. Uh, The the game has discrete levels, each of which is sort of represents a song. And um, you sort of play through the song by playing through the Tetris uh, level as you, you know, trying to complete the song. Um, They're strung together into sort of series. So if you're playing well, you can play through several songs in a row. And each of those songs is, uh, all the music is reacting to your playing. So moving Tetris pieces and rotating Tetris pieces and doing lines and all of those are, are things that will key off sounds within a sort of a larger soundscape of the song. The mode you're describing um, uh, is called the journey mode. Uh, and it's just one of many different modes in this game, which, you know, this is um, te- this Tetris game is distinguished by having a huge diversity of modes, uh, but weirdly uh, by lacking a multiplayer mode. Well, I'd like to talk more about that later. But the the journey mode is a unique uh, Tetris mode. Uh, all Tetris games, even all the way back to the first release in the U.S., uh, have always had some sort of theming applied to them, right? Their first Tetris game in the U.S. had a, you know, it really wanted to play to uh, the Russian thing because this was, uh, you know, it was rare to have a, a software product come out of, you know, from behind the Iron Curtain from Soviet Russia. And so the release that they brought out in the U.S., Every level was um, played against a background of like scenes from Russia, like um, there. It's basically every fa- famous Soviet landmark, and the music too. It was a was a, a Russian folk song. You know the the yes, the yes. famous you know Tetris song that accompanied a lot of those early versions of the game is a is a public domain uh, piece of folk music. You can just use that if you want. Yep. Which is another, I mean, really surprised me that they didn't in this game. <laughs> so yeah, there's actually a uh, there's actually a story about that. I'll get to that later. But um, the the mode, this journey mode, um, it it chains together different scenes, and every scene is both a song, um, a set of VR scenery that is interactive and responsive to uh, your gameplay, um, and it's also an experience of 
kind of, of very variations of speed. So in every previous Tetris game I've ever played, speed is entirely a factor of uh, your level. And just slowly gets faster until you screw it up, which is exactly happens for me very early on. In th- in this game, the they've distinguished speed level. Uh, they, they call it speed level rather than level. And as you play the game in these different songs and scenes, the level of speed that your tetrominoes fall at is affected by the actual pace of the music. And so that's a, it creates this wonderful interplay between you and the music because you know in that down tempo moment that the beat is about to drop and <laughs> so will the pieces and you're going to immediately be flooded by a zillion uh, tetrominoes. And uh, it's also creates these tremendous moments of like um, relief and catharsis where you've built this enormous tower and you're, you're finally starting to clear some things and suddenly, ah, the speed has dropped and now you're really able to, to, to clean up and, and, uh, and do some digging through your tetrominoes. actually a huge thing for me just in terms of the Tetris gameplay of this because uh, you know I I don't mind a little bit of the stress the sort of you know hectic Tetris end game where you're desperately trying to find places for pieces as they come faster than you can actually process what they are but I I can't do that for very long having a game that takes you to that place and then eases that throttle back a little bit um, even if it weren't like so it, it beautifully ties into the music and everything but even apart from just how that ties into the overall presentation being able to you know having a Tetris game that like pushes you to that manic Tetris state and then dials it back a little bit it's just like a, such a like why don't why hasn't every Tetris game essentially done that in some way like it's a it's huge it made it a lot more fun to play because you go to that place but you don't stay in that place the whole time. The entire journey mode in that way is tremendously forgiving. Uh, and it's not just the choice to have the speed vary in that way. The mechanic of the zone meter is original to this and is a really wonderful, forgiving mechanic. Uh, and also the... Wait, what is the zone meter? You don't know this? You did Really? Just, I'm, I'm confused. What was it? What was it's the zone the, meter? Okay, so... In the Tetris effect, as you play, um, you're building up a zone meter that fills up in the bottom corner of your screen. Uh, it's a little circle. That fills oh, up. I know what you're talking about. And, yeah, so go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, as you when you when you fill up the zone meter, you can press a button and then go into the zone, and the pieces stop falling. Oh, uh, then you can nope. Place I never the pieces figured, very nope. Carefully. I never figured this out. You did not play the tutorial. <laughs> Why would uh, I play a tutorial in a Tetris game? I didn't know this was a thing. I actually did play the tutorial, but it starts you with like, here's how to drop a piece. And I'm like, I know how to do this. Done. And then, no, it I didn't was like the, tutorial. the second screen on that tutorial. What? I can't believe okay. I missed this. Okay. That explains why I was so goddamn bad at this game. Yes. Okay. It does. 
because the zone meter is a huge part of this game. So while I'm on the subject of ways in which this is forgiving, don't let me, uh, I don't want to neglect to mention uh, that it's checkpointing is extremely generous. Yeah. As you, as you play, you're playing song after song in these little sequences that are kind of like a playlist, but you can continue from the start of the song anytime you want. Uh, but yeah, the zone meter so important. Okay, so uh, I can't believe huge I part didn't of this understand game. this. Okay, let let me let me tell you a little bit about the zone meter. So yeah, it, you, I played I played through two thirds of this game. By the way, I didn't complete it, but I played through two thirds of this game without knowing what the okay, zone meter did. So, so when you go back and play again, you're gonna absolutely blast through it because the zone meter is extremely helpful. Okay, um, once the zone meter, well, once you when you clear lines. You start building up the zone meter. And at any time when you have at least some zone meter filled up, uh, you can trigger the zone. And in the zone, uh, the pieces uh, don't fall. You can basically drop them exactly where you want them to go. Uh, It's a timer. So the more zone time you have, the longer you can take doing that. And also lines do not clear in, in the zone. So normally when you... Normally, the most pieces that you can clear at once in Tetris is a Tetris, which is where you take that four-piece long bar and you drop it into a perfect four-piece hole and uh, it clears four lines at once. That is a Tetris. With the zone meter, because lines do not clear until you have uh, used up your zone meter and, and you return back to the normal game speed, you can actually clear more lines than four at once. And so I have gotten a I have gotten several uh, octrices, which is where you clear eight lines at once. Awesome. Uh, using the zone meter, you can get a like a I've gotten one decatrice, which was ten lines at once. And I I believe it is possible they have they have named the twenty line clear the ultras, which <laughs> is very nice. very good to hear. Um, there's also the uh, twenty four. Li- no, there's a there's there's like a there's a decahexatrice. Uh, there's there's a lot of different um, kind of cool things you can do uh, using the zone meter. Uh, it's really really good for those times when the speed on the game has gotten so high that you just really have to nail your piece drops uh, in order to stay alive. So you really want to kind of hang on to your zone meter uh, for that. So. Yeah, so that that's glad you uh, glad you could find out about that. Now that we're reviewing the show, <laughs> yeah. reviewing the game for the show. Uh, um, well, I, was, so yeah. I guess I was. I mean, I was just playing it more like a traditional Tetris game. I wasn't taking advantage of that mechanic. I saw that meter that you mentioned, and I just thought that was like indicating my progress through the level or something. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. Good to yeah. know. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Get those play those tutorials, uh, folks. It's not like the tutorial for Tetris is going to take you all that long. I mean, I really, I was really like, who needs a tutorial for Tetris? Get out of here with that. And I guess that was the wrong I mean, move. <laughs> it, the, the, the good news is that the other modes, every other mode but the journey mode does not have the zone meter uh, at all. And it's much more of a traditional Tetris experience. But there's still a great diversity of, uh, of modes there that are really, really good. Cool. But I guess the biggest distinguishing thing about this game is you know you're playing tetris in a 3d space and every time you you that is cruise from assuming one of these songs, that you're doing this through psv psvr if you play this without the psvr 
it's a pretty different experience. We should probably talk about the difference. If you're pl- even if you're playing it without the PSVR, you still are in a 3D space, uh, but you're seeing it, of course, on your screen. You can actually use the uh, the um, the sticks on the controller to like move the camera around if you, for whatever reason, want to like turn the camera and look at the dolphins or or get a like a sidelong angle on your Tetris pieces mm. uh, or. You know, one thing that I, I did actually find useful there is move the camera a little closer to the Tetris uh, uh, that is happening on screen. Uh, there's actually a lot of options, including like always start my camera a little closer to the to the Tetris. But the um, the the VR experience is really, really compelling uh, just because it's so reactive to like what you're playing. And Tetris is a weird choice initially for VR, mm-hmm. but it works extremely, extremely well. The PSVR doesn't have incredible resolution. You know, there's always a little bit of that pixelation that you're going to see, but it totally doesn't matter with Tetris. Yeah, I always sort of feel like I'm looking through the world through a screen door when using a uh, PSVR headset. You know, it sort of has that feeling of like, you know, it, it, it's a, it's not just, it's not exactly pixelated because there is this sort of um, sub-pixel rendering. So it just sort of feels like you're looking at things through... Uh, through a sieve or something like that, yeah. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really matter here because Tetris, you, you don't you don't have, need a lot of fine detail on the tetrominoes. You know what a tetromino looks like. They're big enough that you can tell exactly what they are, how they're shaped, and how they're oriented without without like high resolution graphics. I don't need them. Yeah, the the graphics here are you know make a, a lot of use of things that work really well in in VR. Things mm-hmm. like. Um, underwater or outer space scenes mm-hmm. or tons of particle particle effects flying around your head. Yeah. So so all that stuff works extremely well, really plays to the strength of a PSVR headset. So it's a really good uh, example of like things that look really good in this kind of technology that that mitigate any of the um, kind of hardware limitations in this kind of, you know, version one of a commercial VR headset. I think it's really interesting that like music, I think Mizuguchi has a kind of a lifelong or career long interest in VR. Um, you know, he did a really, really good interview with uh, Jeremy Parrish of Retronauts. And I'll put a link in the show notes to that uh, podcast. If you're not listening to Retronauts, by the way, it's one of the best video game podcasts out there. And um, his interview earlier this summer, I think. Don't pump with, the competition. I know. Uh, with uh, with Mizuguchi, uh, Mizuguchi was talking about how he's had this sort of very long time interest in VR ever since seeing some like super early 80s VR headsets that were in use by NASA. And there was a period when... Um, I think he was with Sega at the time um, and uh, Sega was considering doing some VR that he described as basically strapping a game gear to your head back in the eighties. There was a whole plan for that. And he was, he was involved in that somehow. It's been a little while since I listened to that interview. So apologies. I don't recall the details there, but he's, he's had an interest in VR for his entire career. And it's only very recently with res infinite and this game that he's had the option to actually kind of make that a part of his actual, you know, that that's now an actual commercial product that he can develop games for. Um, but it's really interesting to see that kind of take off. He's really doing something different with VR than everybody else did. Everybody, I, you know, a lot of game developers looked at VR and were like, how are we going to do a shooter on that thing? And he was like, how are we going to play Tetris with music that makes you cry? You know, like, <laughs> it's a different kind of approach to uh, to like somebody with a you know, how, what are you going to do with this VR headset? It's a it's really interesting to see. 
you brought up something really that I think is key here and that or super super interesting is that the idea of it's it, it's clear that the goal here was to try to turn Tetris into an emotional experience. Yeah. And largely they succeeded. It was typified for me by some of the first few tracks. One of the they they picked the order very well. The first track is a huge hit uh of like endorphins and of like emotion. Wait, is the first track it, it's all connected or is that the yep, that's Yeah, the that is yeah, such so. a good track. I am super mad that there is not a official soundtrack for the Tetris effect out. Um, if you pre-ordered the game, you can get your hand. It, it came with uh, like a, a seven song sampler of the soundtrack. But um, according to the developers and the publisher, um, they haven't put out a soundtrack for the game yet and probably won't for quite a while because the way that the game mixes its sound, there's not really a canonical version like mixed version of these of these tracks uh they are sort of mixed and generated within the game and if you play it like you know exactly what they're talking about you know, if you just let this game play and you're not playing tetris along with it the sound is boring and it's sort of the play that brings those songs to life with the extra musical elements that get created sort of on the fly so there's not really like a canonical pre-mixed version of these songs um i am going to try to edit in what music i can get uh because the music in this game is super good. I mean, uh, that's sort of Mizuguchi's, um, you know, trademark. But like, this is really, really good music to go along with this this game experience. It's, mm-hmm. it's super cool. I, I, this is not the first or even only virtual reality music game experience that I've really enjoyed. Right when I bought the PSVR, um, Thumper was really big. Mm. Uh, Thumper being a kind of more traditional music game. They called it a uh, music or a rhythm violence game. Um, it, it, you know, it's kind of a roller coaster ride crossed with a, with a guitar hero kind of game. Um, and just this week, uh, they have brought out Beat Saber for PSVR. Oh, I've heard so much about that, but yeah, not- that's, there's a lot of hype for this one. I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet, but it's, it's a game where you've got like a couple of lightsabers, like a lightsaber in each hand, and you're playing a rhythm game by like slicing these blocks that are flying at you. So yeah, I think I think that kind of simplified the simplified visuals and the intense kind of immersion that you can get with, you know, blocking out everything except for the rhythm and the beat uh, with PSVR is really effective for this kind of game. And you know, this game uses it along with something that I already have an experience with. I already have a connection to. And so the entire piece together is so effective for me. There were moments where I just had to like sit and stop and like give up on landing pieces just so that I could like 
listen to the beat and look around. Yeah. And that's really, really good. It's, it's awesome. Um, I, I, I do have to say like VR is optional on this game. I don't know if I think it's worth playing without it. I have played more of this game without VR uh, than I have played it with VR by quite a bit because I really wanted to beat uh, Journey Mode. And mm. I did. And I I am extremely thankful that, I. of course, you can go back and play any level that you want. But once you beat Journey Mode, you can actually go back into a theater mode. And in theater mode, uh, you can go back and see any of the uh, scenes and there's, I believe, 33 or four scenes um, and hear any of those 33 or four songs and uh, just not play Tetris. <laughs> just, um, so the so there's there's that. Yeah. Um, and and so it makes use of all of that uh, stuff later for other things, too. So when you play the other modes, you can you can select any of the different scenes and they, they're all very effective, both in VR and in 2d but much uh, obviously more so yeah with the immersion i have to say that like this this is a great tetris game but it's a big ask to ask people to spend 40 dollars on a tetris game in 2018 i mean yeah i think this is going to drop in price probably but like precipitously yeah maybe so 40 damn dollars i had to have oh yeah no and i don't regret my i don't regret my purchase at all but i do have to say like yeah if you don't have a psvr Maybe wait for the price to drop on this because it is forty damn dollars, forty goddamn dollars for a Tetris game in 2018. That is nuts. I had some like I'm not the kind of person that like makes my buying decisions for video games based on like v- that side of things. Really, like I I can afford a forty dollar Tetris game. I want to play what's interesting <laughs> and what we could talk about on this show and all that. But I have to say. <sighs> My my thumb hovered over that buy button for a little longer with this than it has for a lot of other stuff we've covered on the show, just because it's 2018. I have Tetris that is free on my phone. I have Tetris that costs like 60 cents on every device that I own in this house. And the, it was only the fact that like, okay, I know this is going to be a, a super special experience because of the VR that made me say, yes, okay, I am going to spend 40 goddamn dollars on a, a Tetris game in 2018. I th- I'm very glad yeah, that I've I did it. i got Puyo Puyo Tetris on my right. Switch. Like, I've which already I love. got that. <laughs> which is, I think, one of the best versions of Tetris you can buy today. Puyo Puyo Tetris. Um, I am more of a Puyo stan than a Tetris stan, but, like, man, Puyo Puyo Tetris is the best version of, of Tetris that I had ever played until this version. And I was like, I already own that, man. And that has two players. So, you know. You know, I, I get what you're saying, but this was still a day one purchase for me because um, I had seen some coverage of it ahead of time. And I saw stuff like the zone meter, which, by the way, I simply do not know how you missed that. Um, but I, like, I understood you know, that there was I, a meter. I just didn't know how to activate it. I saw, <laughs> you never even accidentally grazed the L2 button. No. Uh, why would you hit that when you play Tetris? There's, you don't even need to touch the, the face buttons. You use the D pad and down. Like that's the only yep. things I ever touch. Yeah. So the, um, you hold on. You say you just use the deep, the D pad. 
you know you can rotate the pieces, right, with the buttons. <laughs> you do Shane. use the face buttons for yes, that, right? Yes, of course. Okay. Wait, what? Yes, of course I know you can All right. rotate the pieces. I mean, <laughs> just checking. Uh, yes, but like that's that's like that's like you know left right one button for rotate and that's you know, it. There's two buttons for rotate. Look, okay. right? <laughs> Look, I get it. Okay, I'm aware that you, you can, can turn rotate. it both ways. I'm aware of that, but like, ain't nobody got time for that. I, I don't. I'm not gonna like sit there and think about which rotate I I need. I'm just gonna hit the one button until it's the way I want it. Duh. All right. All right. You know. You know. You can put pieces in a hold with the L1 button, right? No, I didn't know that. Oh my god, Reagan! <laughs> Play the goddamn tutorial. Okay, you know that is a that is not just the Tetris effect. That is virtually every Tetris game. I you could do that in uh, Tetris for the I think not the NES but the SNES for sure. I okay. I mean you definitely can't do it on the Game Boy, which is where I have most of my Tetris experience. You can't do that in Puyo, can you? Yeah, you can. Yes, can you do it with Puyos? No, but you could do it with Tetrominoes. <sighs> Why don't they tell me these things? They have tutorials for that. <laughs> uh, okay, got it. So Thank you. For you listeners out there, you can hit L1 to put a Tetris piece into a holding zone. <laughs> and let's... Okay, I'm going to take a few minutes. And I'm going to give some Tetris <laughs> advice to you... And to all of our listeners. All right. It's gonna I'd, like, basics, I'd like to say that I got the, through two-thirds of the games with game without this information. And I just thought that Shane was that much better at this at this game than I was. I thought Shane was wrecking my face at Tetris. Yeah, you got, but it turns out he's a wizard I, who knows Turns out I was because you suck <laughs> so bad. All right. So, um, all right. So, here's how to play Tetris, <laughs> folks. All right. Um, okay. I was not planning to get into this. All right. So uh, when Tetris pieces are falling from the bottom of the screen. Wait, um, they fall from the bottom? From the top of the screen. You got me all twerked and twisted, my bro. <laughs> Keep all right. going. When the Tetris pieces are coming down from the top of the screen, uh, you can hit the L1 button. Uh, and that puts them into a hold zone. And they're going to appear above the play field in the upper left. Um, basically, you can do that once for each piece. So you can't just like constantly swap things, but it does two things for you. One, uh, you can put something into hold because it's a piece that you can't fit onto the board. Uh, you don't have a good spot for it. Uh, two, putting something into the hold takes it uh, up out of the place where it's dropping and swaps it with a thing that's currently on hold. So it can give you kind of a, a, a moment uh, because the new piece coming out of hold is going to come down from the top of the screen again. So it can give you a little bit of extra time. So that's great. Another Tetris tip. Uh, if you're wailing on the rotate button, the piece will not lock into place for the most part. Mm-hmm. So if you have the piece generally where you want it and you're trying to wiggle it into into place, just wailing on that rotate button will give you some time. It's a great way to buy time when the pieces are falling faster than you can deal with them. Some other Tetris basics. Um, you can do a thing called a T-spin. Uh, the T-shaped piece can move in ways that you might not expect. You could just look up a video on it T-spins are important. The uh, the best way to play Tetris is to get Tetrises, I guess. Uh, <laughs> that's when you put the long bar in. We already covered that. Got that bit. Um, I find Check. that the best Understood. way... Uh, so Tetris game, modern Tetris games, uh, where you're playing for a score, have several ways that you can get points. Uh, T-spins tend to get you extra points. 
getting a Tetris or, you know, in this game, uh, other long line clears get you lots of points. Uh, but it also is a great way to get points to uh, build a large well, maybe uh, three or four pieces wide. And, and if you do that, you can then get into a situation where you can clear a line with every piece. So let's say you have the board almost completely full, but you have, let's say, like a three wide well. You can start dropping pieces into that well. And if you're cle- as long as you're clearing uh, at least one line with every piece you drop, uh, you're making a chain. And the longer your chain, uh, the more pieces that you get, the more um, uh, the more points you get. You can also, in this game, and I don't think this is probably not new to this game, but it's new for me, uh, is the idea of a back-to-back, uh, which is where you are getting Tetrises one after the other. Like, it doesn't matter if you, uh, like, you're, you're getting a Tetris and then piling up more pieces, getting another Tetris, pile up a few more pieces, get another Tetris. If you can get back-to-back Tetrises without clearing any other lines that are not making a Tetris, that's also a high score uh, booster. So there's lots of ways for you to uh, for you to do that. And in many of the modes that you can get to after journey mode, or if you're just a high score chaser, being able to do some of these things is important because, you know, it's it's how you really rack up the points. If you're just focusing on keeping the board clear enough to get through to the end of the song, you certainly will enjoy the game uh, and you will you'll beat the levels, but your score will not be uh, super choice. Thank you, Sensei. So that's Shane's <laughs> How to Play Tetris Get Good Corner, a new <laughs> segment on our show. Thank you, Sensei. Uh, get good. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, that was actually very useful to me because there were clearly some things that I missed there. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to going back and hopefully now I'll be able to get past the uh, end of the third, I think it was the third sort of course or chunk of levels i was just really stuck there i thought it was impossible even turned it down to the easiest difficulty and i couldn't get past it so clearly there's something there that i need to try again i am i am not a tetris god by any means i but i did beat the game on uh medium and i've gotten now about i'm still still working at it but i've managed to get about halfway through uh on the expert difficulty that's awesome it is really good. It's a fun game. One of the other things I forgot to mention is I, I really like uh, is if you just want to go back and play on the normal difficulty or the easy once you've beaten it, uh, it starts tracking a uh, like a total high score where you can kind of do a marathon mode where it'll you'll play through, um, you know, the levels are grouped into these little uh, four or five song chunks. Uh, but in the marathon mode kind of thing, you just go through and play continuously through the whole game again, if you want, in one sitting. Uh, and uh, one thing I have not mentioned is as you move from song to song, it keeps the board state. So it'll, it gives you a, a moment to breathe, but then you're right back to where you were with all your pieces piled up again. But it's fairly forgiving if you fail, if you like top out. Yes. Uh, then it doesn't take you back to the beginning of your, you know, several song track list or whatever yeah it starts it you just takes you back to the beginning of the song which can be really useful because if you're on a course that's like five songs and you're three songs deep and you screw up uh you don't have to start the whole thing over it still lets you continue from where you left off on that subject there's actually so the the other modes are grouped into uh i think four categories there's like uh classic 
uh, adventure, uh, chill, and something else. And I, I don't, I don't remember what all of them are. Uh, but the ones that are la- listed as chill uh, are even more forgiving. If you top out, uh, it just wipes the board and you carry carry on exactly where you were. Wow. It just starts, it just literally starts you over. So do you have any favorite songs or, or you know, or um, levels or whatever? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. So the, the first song, like I mentioned, that one is so extremely good. good. Really, really good. Um, another, I don't remember the name of it, but you are, uh, flying through a city and it's playing you jazz. That is my favorite one in the game. Yes. What it's, that's where probably the interaction between your gameplay movements and the music is the strongest because every time you move a piece in any way, left, right, uh, or, or rotate, um, it basically sounds the pieces are making sound that sounds like someone noodling on a jazz piano. Um, And it's a, the scenery around you is sort of like a a city coming to life. So there's things like taxi cabs and buildings and, you know, everything's slowly kind of like waking up. It's really, really cool. It actually starts with all the pieces of the city kind of floating in, you know, in disarray. Mm. And then as you're playing, as you're lining up your tetrominoes, it's actually lining up these these bits of the city, yeah, and like building the city in front of you, which is really really cool. And you know, there's a great sense of movement to it. in one place not moving but some of them have you like chasing a pod of dolphins through the through the ocean that then becomes a sky and stuff like that and the ones that have some movement to them are really neat my my favorite favorite one starts you off on um in a in a desert and out of the distance you slowly start to see these specks of light and they get closer coming up over the dunes and you see that there are these glowing uh this sort of glowing train of camels Mm. and as you're as you're playing you're slowly pulling back a little farther and a little farther seeing this desert from you know greater and greater height and then all of a sudden everything goes black and you're on the moon and there's a dune buggy doing donuts and it's the best (laughs) like this moon buggy is just like driving all around and there's an astronaut like in it and it's just like i mean thematically it's great because it's you've got this you know you know you're like oh here's you know human travel big picture you know and then we're on the moon but then like but the actual like uh and and the moon itself you know is is as a landscape looks a lot like the desert so there's it's this really interesting like visual uh, but just the dude on the moon buggy just like doing donuts in the background. I couldn't I couldn't stop looking at it. It was so good. Uh, there's another one I love where um you know you're you're in this sort of dark um kind of grass hut and uh the music is just like really soft and and to start with, but you know, you get the drums going. Uh, and then as you're landing these pieces, like the light outside the hut 
is getting brighter and brighter. And you're seeing through the kind of grass walls of the hut, this sort of African landscape outside that's like pulsing with light and everything just gets brighter and brighter as you play. That one is very beautiful to me. The last level, I don't want to like spoil anything, but it's like, it's bringing a lot of the elements of all the previous levels together in a really satisfying way. Hmm. Um, that one was really good. There's, there's a level called celebration. That's all um, fireworks. That one visually is just really effective. Another one that I just absolutely love, and I just am going to, there's 30 <laughs> of these. So I'm, I, I'm just talking about a lot of them. But one that I absolutely loved is you start off in this sort of circle of palm trees. It starts off pretty slow. And, you know, it's kind of this sort of tiki scene. And there's like tiki torches around you. And the light is really interesting and good. And, uh, you know, it starts off kind of slow. Uh, but then at a certain point, the volcano in the background starts to erupt and the whole thing just like turns the speed up to like 99 <laughs> and like the the music is like, and it's just so intense. It took me many, many tries to get past that. Uh, it was very, very satisfying and the music is rad uh, and the all of the music in this is, is uh, really, the really volcano fun. exploding and like raining lava on you is very good alongside the pieces raining down is very 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 good so there's a lot of really good scenes uh in this you know it's uh, in certain circumstances having a shower of radioactive bullshit thrown in your eyes can be distracting from the game at hand i would i will not neglect to say that there were certain instances where i would have surely won my tetris if it had not been for not for all the like these horses and other bullshit getting in the way, like <laughs> yes, a sonic and visual assault uh, on my <laughs> eyes that prevented me from playing Tetris optimally. Uh, if you find that experience to be upsetting, you can disable quite a lot of the visual effects, but nah, don't do that. Nah, <laughs> nah, it's too good. Yeah. Um, so I thought before we wrap up, cause this is so, it's so rare we get to talk about PSVR on this show because Shane and I have PSVR and like it quite a bit. Um, but the, our other two co-hosts don't, and it's really kind of hard to make a whole episode out of it. We've done a couple of episodes in the past, just sort of kind of checking in on what's up with PSVR. Yeah, we, we tend to cover it as a console and less, yeah. like, less of the individual game. It's hard to cover individual games because a lot of the times, you know, there, there's not really an expectation that most of our listeners, even though a lot of them it. are short. Yeah, and really good. Yeah, like I would have we really should have probably done a full episode on Moss. I am dying to do an episode on um, Astrobot, which is phenomenal. Um, Shane, I am sending you a copy. Merry Christmas. It's great. Brad, thanks. Um, it, it's it's great. It's uh, it's got great level design. It's very thanks for spoiling my Christmas present. It's basically Super Mario 3D World, like the Wii U one. Uh, it's basically that, but in VR. It's so fun. Lots of cool little hidden stuff that, you know, you know how they do a great job of like hiding cool elements in Mario games. Well, imagine that. But a lot of it involves like, oh, this was behind me. I forgot, you know, I need to look around and find those cool little platforming elements. It's a great platformer, but in VR, which is really cool. Um, And there's a lot of other cool games on PSVR that would totally fit the concept of this show. It's just PSVR is a whole big thing to take out and play. So that's an aspect. It's a little harder to fit into your life in that way if you, uh, you know, if you live a life like Shane, where there's going to be a toddler pulling on your headset cord, and it's also not something that everybody who 
does this show or listens to this show has so you know a relatively smaller number of people have access it's previously been very expensive i think when ps4 vr first came out it was like 600 bucks to get into it now it's like 200 it's that's still a big ask if you just have one or two games that you want to play on it but it's a it's getting to where psvr even if we're kind of coming to the end of a console generation like it's still, I think, a really good time to check PSVR out because it's had enough time now to really get its ball rolling. Um, you know, you, you can buy a PSVR starter set for like, you know, it, it goes on sale all the time. Every Black Friday, every you know holiday, you can pick up a PSVR setup for a couple hundred bucks probably. And um, it'll probably come with a couple of really cool games. And there's now a pretty good library for it. Um, I'm using it more now, like three years into its life than I ever did when it was brand new. Yeah. Uh, same here. There's a lot of games that I, like I, I missed on PSVR when they first came out that I've been trying to circle back to. Like I I'm hopefully going to circle back to the launch title, the battle zone game that I've heard really good things about. Oh, the, the tank one. Yeah. 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 I want to check that out too. I've never gotten around to it either. Well, it's got online co-op, so we should play it. Together. Oh, that'd be but, fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, and it's like a roguelike. It's like right up my alley. But like, like, like try and find a time where we're both in a place where it's okay for us to like block out the world and put on our, you know, blinders and, and all that. Yeah. It would have to be like nine o'clock at night here, uh, which is like, it's what, just eight, eight here. o'clock, yeah. eight there. And I would have to have nothing else planned. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's prime. That's prime time for podcasting, too. Yeah. So, and my other various nighttime activities. Well, listeners, if you are interested in hearing more about PSVR games, that's always something that we can do. It's just something that we often, you know, don't because of the various things about it that make it a smaller sort of subset of what we do. But if you have a PSVR game that you like and you think we ought to be checking out, we're happy to talk about them. So let us know. <laughs> Well, I guess we like to end the show with a segment that we call uh, What's Pissing You Off This Week? So, uh, just kidding. It's things that are making us happy. Uh, so, Reagan, what's your thing that's making you happy? I can start if you want a second to think it over if you're not a happy person. Oh, no, I've I've uh, been having a very happy week. I had a great, uh, great week with my in-laws in town and just sort of doing general Thanksgiving-y stuff. Um, happy Thanksgiving. Yes. To you as well. Way. With Thanksgiving or anything else, like any time when there's going to be family around or where you might be traveling, I'm always like looking for something to play on my phone. Um, and I've been a little bit more on a retro and RPG kick lately. And so I remembered it actually went on sale and I was like, oh, I should buy that. And then I realized I'd already bought it maybe years ago uh, that uh, the iOS port of Final Fantasy Tactics, War of the Lions. And I was like, oh yeah, I own that. And I've never even opened it. Let me download it and give it a shot. And so I guess my thing that's been making me happy this week was sneaking in rounds of Final Fantasy Tactics on my phone and iPad in between all of the other stuff that's been going on. I mean, I don't want to say that that's the thing that's been making me happy on Thanksgiving. I had a lovely Thanksgiving. But in terms of things that might be relevant to the podcast. Turkey, a little dry, but that uh, that Final Fantasy. You know, I had never played Final Fantasy Tactics before. You always hear that it's this, you know, it's everybody's favorite game. You know, it, every time you, it seems like like clockwork about once a year, there's a big profile piece from somebody at some, uh, you know, one of the big uh, online uh, gaming publications 
where I guess they just sort of like ran out of things to talk about and roll back around to talking about how much they love Final Fantasy Tactics. And um, I've tried to start it before, but it's pretty unapproachable uh, at first. I always find that like the second level, uh, which is like the Dorter slums or whatever, the second level requires that you already understand so much about the game system and that you already have leveled up probably you know, five or six levels for a, a party of like eight characters or something, or no, it's just like six. But anyway, it, it requires a lot of you very early on. And if you, if you don't put in the work and do some very, very early game grinding, you will get annihilated right there in that first spot. So it, I had bounced off of the game real hard before. I've actually bought this game now so too many times. I, I have bought it on PlayStation 1, because uh, it, it's one of those games that I continually felt like, I'm going to want to play that. So I keep picking it up. I bought it on uh, on PS1. Uh, I bought the PS1 Classic, the download that you can play on the PS3. I bought the Vita version, or actually it's the, the PSP version, The the and, you know, downloaded it to my Vita, because it keeps going on sale. And then I, I bought the uh, iOS, the iPhone version, and then the separate iPad version. So that's now, I've bought this game five damn times and bounced off it mo- more times than I can count. But I finally decided this is the time. So I went and read a bunch of just GameFAQs stuff f- to kind of figure out how to get past the early game. And once you do get over that initial hump, because uh, it's very different from other um, you know RPGs that I've played, and I'm not a huge tactics game person. But once you get over that initial hump, it's a really, really interesting game. Uh, and it's actually, a, the iOS version is a really, really good version. So I guess that's kind of what's making me happy this week. I'm playing a lot of that. That is awesome. Uh, you know, I, it's a game with a reputation for, like, being, like, I don't know, really, really, really absorbing and and like everyone wants sequels galore to it so there's got to be something to it but i i'm like you i've bounced off of it a few times yeah it's um it's a game that really you you have to be really down to engage with its systems um and from what i understand the farther in that you get the more like game breaking a lot of the systems are and part of the fun and challenge of the game is sort of trying to find uh ways to kind of beat its system by doing strange or almost exploit like things with the, with the sort of character builds. Um, I, I'm already having kind of a lot of fun creating characters. Unlike a lot of other RPGs, like it's almost all characters that you create, you name, you, you know, spec out and customize yourself. Very few of the games are the characters are like plot related characters. A lot of them are like characters that you recruit. You can decide that they're going to be a white mage and then halfway through you can switch them over to black mage and you can have multiple uh, class abilities, that kind of thing. You get you get to really build out the characters yourself and uh, really think about like what would be useful to you, what's your strategy, that kind of thing. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. I have been, uh, I've been getting, you know, I've talked on this show before about how I'm kind of getting back into Magic the Gathering mm. after damn near 15 years away from that game. Gene, Magic the Gathering can't be the thing that's making you happy every episode for a year. <laughs> uh, so I have something new about it. I know I've talked about it a lot lately, but frankly, you know, maybe I just don't have that many things making me happy <laughs> lately. Okay, so uh, Magic the Gathering. That makes me sad, <laughs> Shane. <laughs> All right, so I've got, a, I've got a good friend, and he and I have been playing a ton of uh, kitchen table magic, and it, he lives nearby, so literally, like, you know, even tonight, I had to turn down a text from him saying, like, you want to come over and play Magic? And, uh, you know, it's it's really nice to have have a neighbor who just wants to 
you know, always is on the same page about like playing cards all the time. So I am happy this week because I, this week, uh, finished building and perfected, uh, a deck, uh, that is based around the most fun thing I've ever done, uh, in magic. And I'll explain it to you now. Uh, so there is a, there is a card in magic, uh, in the latest set called Etrata the silencer. It is a vampire assassin. And, uh, Etrata is a, well, she is a awesome, uh, creature. She's, she's not too expensive. She's like a, a three, five for four mana. So already pretty good. But what makes Etrata so cool is that Etrata is completely unblockable. And when Etrata attacks and hits your opponent, uh, you basically kill one of their creatures, you exile the creature. And, uh, if you manage to do that three times, you win the game automatically hmm. because if they ever have three creatures killed by Atrada, they they lose the game. The hitch is that Atrada normally vanishes into the night when she's performed one of these hits. You take Atrada and shuffle her back into your deck. So at most, you could have four Atradas in your deck. Odds are you wouldn't get them all out. But I built a whole deck around ways to... Uh, maximize my my likelihood of getting Etrata out three times. And I have lots of ways of doing that. Some of them include uh, cards that return Etrata to my hand before she goes back into the library. Or uh, my favorite is there's this tremendous card called Helm of the Host, where it's like this very expensive piece of equipment that you equip on a creature, and then every turn it clones that creature. So you can basically <laughs> pile up and you only ever need to clone the creature three times because, you know, three, three, but what's really so pr- supremely satisfying <laughs> about Atrata, what's so supremely satisfying is that once you get two creatures down with Atrata, your opponent knows that <laughs> if they bring out another creature, you're instantly going to attack and win the game. So you can get into these horrible frustrating board <laughs> states for your opponent where they can do nothing but sit there while uh, Atrada duplicates and clones herself <laughs> over and over and over again and they literally cannot play any of their cards. And that's that horrible, you know, terrible way to win at Magic the Gathering is what's making me happy this week. Mm, that's that's mean. That's mean and I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, we are going to be coming back with with more coverage of more interesting games soon. Uh, Laura, uh, I know that right now as you listen to this, you're stuck in... Laura would have been joining us on this episode, but she's uh, she's stuck in New York uh, following all of the uh, the snow up there. So, uh, hi, Laura. Hope you're you're back soon and we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. We're going to be... Uh, Laura and I have been playing through uh, Return of the Obra Dinn together, which is a phenomenal game, and I'm looking forward to covering it on this show. We've got a bunch of other cool stuff sort of up in the pipe as well. So... Uh, uh, so come back soon for another episode of the short game and we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about other cool stuff. If you have a game that you think we ought to cover, either short games, maybe PSVR games that you think are interesting, or just anything that you think is uh, you know short and good, uh, let us know what it is. A good way to get in touch with us is our website, www.theshortgame.net, where we have a contact form. Or you can find us on Twitter, at underscore short game. Uh, and of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N. Uh, Shane, where can people find you? 
Also, Twitter at 8BitShane. And, of course, the best way to support the show is to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, I know you hear that from a lot of podcasts, but for smaller podcasts like ours, it means even more than you might think. It really helps us out. If you have a moment, leave us a review on iTunes, let other folks know that you like the show, uh, and let your friends know Another terrific way to support the show is to go into your mom or dad's wallet and uh, find those... Uh, pieces of plastic they use to pay for things and uh, take down all the numbers and send them to us in a DM. Yes, excellent way to support the show if you can. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.